Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 84th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend and a, an honored guest host, Jack Dobrich. Jack, how are we doing? Doing all right, Zach. It's a pleasure to be back. It's been a long time since I've been a guest of the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, really. So, it, you know, I'm very excited to be back talking to you today. Yes, I'm I'm excited to have you back. I was I was recently thinking about how, the fact that I've done this podcast for like three and a half years now. Uh, yeah. and just being like, wow, like at first it was just Gus and I with with infrequent guests, and we would get seven lessons per episode. And when it cracked double digits, I'd be I'd be over the moon. So I'm glad yeah. to get back to the kind of get back to home on this one, you know, really yeah. a throwback. I, I, I couldn't tell you which which number episode I was on, but it was early. I think in the first fifteen. Damn, that sounds about crazy. right. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been it's been going on for a while. Well, I'm I'm glad to have you back uh, for our listeners, especially our Welsh listeners. Uh, Adam uh, was on vacation last week, and I thought that vacation was going to extend into this week, so I planned this entire episode without him, only to find out that he is back in town, but he. He told me that he actually uh, would not mind taking a week off uh, to kind of get back into the groove of things. So really, really excited to have Jack on the pod. And Jack, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on who you are as a football yeah. fan? Yeah, sure. Um, so for listeners out there, I, I met Zach a long time ago in uh, when we were attending middle school together back in Connecticut. And mm -hmm. it's through Zach and a couple other friends of ours back in our hometown that I started getting into soccer. Uh, it was, I think you, Andrew Travers, Sam Koenig, mm -hmm. where you guys were all following the Premier League and I was kicking a ball around with you one day and you were like, hey, you should you should uh, like watch with us. You should pick a team to follow. It's more fun that way. And uh, I that year, I believe it was Hull City, Crystal Palace, and maybe Norwich that had been promoted. Okay. And I decided to become a fan of one of the promoted teams, but Sam was already a Hull City fan yep. somehow, <laughs> which yeah. I don't understand at all. But, uh, <laughs> but, so I chose Crystal Palace, and I have been I've been following Crystal Palace ever since, pretty religiously. So that's that was in maybe 2012, 2013. Uh, so, yeah. uh, been following them for about nine or 10 years now. Um, you know, I, I find myself watching them every weekend, uh, spending more time than I care to admit on Twitter during transfer season, looking for rumors mm -hmm. of all the players that we will never get, but I will not, <laughs> I will convince myself that we can. Yeah. And, yep. um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that's more or less who I am. Uh, you know, pretty pretty classic american palace fan i love it i love it yeah that was uh that was also it, it was and we kind of now know this uh as you know as more seasoned football fans but that was palace's first year back after mm -hmm. a a wild wild sequence of years in which as we were talking about on you know before recording today 
Uh, Palace almost went into into bankruptcy slash administration, was bought by four super fans of the club and had this kind of meteoric rise back through the championship and into the Premier League. Uh, a plug. If you're, if, if, yeah, 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 I was going to say, say. For Jeff Bezos here, uh, if, if you're a fan of, uh, <laughs> of soccer documentaries, uh, check out When Eagles Dare on Amazon Prime mm -hmm. that tells the whole story. It really is remarkable and does focus on a lot of who I think are very central figures to the club, both from an administrative standpoint, a management standpoint, and especially some of the modern legends of the club. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I I've watched a lot of, of soccer documentaries in my day. And I think when he goes there might be my favorite, it's a four parter, which is quite enjoyable. You can kind of break it up, but yeah, just hearing all about that. And then uh, like interviews with, you know, Zaha interviews with Spironi with, I think Townsend's in that uh, documentary. No, it's not. It's not Townsend. Have... It's a uh, Yannick Bellassi is there. Uh, the former Yannick, Bo oh, Pal Yannick Bellassi, the former Palace and Everton Milo winger, uh, Mila Yedinek. Milivojevic. Uh, no, Milivojevic wasn't there for that. It would have been Yedinek. Okay. Uh, Damian Delaney, uh, the uh, mm -hmm. Irish center back. Um, Love it, Damian Delaney. Dougie Friedman, who was the manager and is now the director of football. Steve Parrish, the chairman. Mm -hmm. uh, probably plenty of others that I'm currently forgetting. I think Glenn Murray is in there, who also was a striker for Brighton oh, yeah. for a while. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so really, really, really quality documentary. I'd recommend it to anybody who's a fan of soccer or football or sports in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is very fascinating. It, it is a really, a really good plug. Um, all right, awesome. Well, yeah, again, super excited to have you on the episode today. We'll, we will mm -hmm. be talking about Crystal Palace uh, a bit in this episode. Uh, Palace actually having having a quite a quite solid season in eleventh right now, having mm -hmm. played twenty six matches. Uh, but yeah, with with the match that just concluded, uh, which was a, a one nil defeat that Southampton had, or excuse me, a two nil defeat Southampton had over uh, Norwich City. Uh, all teams in the Premier League have either played 23, 24, 25, or 26 matches. So we're getting a little bit closer to uh, kind of an equilibrium in the league. It won't be fully firmed up. I think it's actually at the end of March. Uh, the expectation is that everybody will have played the same amount of matches. Uh, but we will be digging into uh, a few of our talking points from the last few weeks of Premier League football um namely kind of focusing on the two ends of the table the top and the bottom which are, are getting more and more interesting with every uh match day that goes by uh we will then um be digging into uh a few a few talking points of jack's choosing that i'm, I'm excited to go into as well uh and then after our commercial break armchair pundits 10 and 90 with epl trivia kind of sprinkled uh in and about the episode uh, so yeah, before we, before we dive into it, Jack, uh, and, and I give you the, the EPL trivia question for the week, All right. taking, taking Adam's role. Um, is there anything, anything less, last that you want to say, or are you ready to dive right in? No, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm, I'm ready for it. Cool. All right. Awesome. So EPL trivia, I hope that I, I do Adam proud with, with this one. Uh, if listeners remember, I'll, I'll give you a trivia question now. I'll allow Jack to have some time to ruminate over it. I'll give him one clue in the midsection of the pod and then another clue at the end uh, before he will give his guess. 
so Jack, I'm I'm really hoping for for sake of the narrative throughout the podcast that you don't already know the answer to this question. Okay. It is a Crystal Palace question. It uh, is I figured it might be. It is specific to Crystal Palace. So I, I tried to I tried to do something decently obscure, but not like who scored mm. the fifth goal of the 1952 <laughs> season. <laughs> who scored the um, winner in the 1985 Zenit Data Systems Cup, our only trophy in history. <laughs> <laughs> You've won one more recently than than Newcastle, so there you uh, go. 85. Um, let me see if I'm right on that. I know it's the Zenit Data Systems Cup, but because uh, it's something that it's like a trophy that no name. longer that no longer exists. Uh, let me make sure I've got yes. the year right. Uh, Much like the, it, the famed Newcastle 2006 inner No, it was, it was 91. Cup. Right, yeah, it was 91. So it's a little bit more recent than okay. I thought. But uh, still, the only trophy that I'm aware of in Palace's vaunted and long history. <laughs> which I don't know if you know. Long, they've done a, they've done, a, mm-hmm. they've done a project recently where they now believe that Crystal Palace may be the first ever professional yep. club founded but in like in any country yeah. and going back to like the 1860s it's it's, it's did, pretty wild that. yeah yeah i i have i have heard that before um yeah that is that is really cool uh yeah another reason to watch the documentary right a, a storied mm-hmm. english football club absolutely um, all right great so so jack your epl trivia question for this episode uh, which fellow professional football club did Crystal Palace use as inspiration for their current logo? Now, okay, so I know, know I, I I don't know the answer right off the bat. Very good. For our for our viewers at home or listeners, I guess, since you probably won't be, I don't think you release video of this. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, we the Palace had been called the glazers as in like people who not the family that owns united but uh the people who work with glass um yeah uh and then switched to the eagles so i actually think i i i'll hold my guess for now but i think i i have a pretty Mm. good one um okay my guess is that Uh, it's not my guess is that it's not an english team Okay. All right. All right. Great. So we will, we will, again, I'll, I'll give a, a first clue at the, the midway point in the episode, uh, a final clue at the end. And then at that point, Jack will, will give off his guess. Uh, again, for the listeners, the question for today, which fellow professional football club did Crystal Palace use as inspiration for their current, current logo? Um, so, so think about that one. Uh, and while you do, let's, let's dive into a couple of the, the talking points uh, from the last few weeks of, uh, of Premier League football, Jack, and the, the thing that I want to start out with is that we have a title race. I think it. I think Absolutely. We can safely say we we firmly have a title race. Uh, so the the main kind of inspiration of saying this is uh, what happened on uh, pretty much in the last week, which was uh, Liverpool uh, getting a six nil drubbing over Leeds, as well as winning on the weekend against Norwich. Uh, in in the meantime, uh, Manchester City suffering a shock 3-2 loss to Tottenham Hotspur, who then, uh, of course, as they always do, went on to lose 1-0 against Burnley. Uh, but Tottenham Hotspur is there a more, is there a more aside, Is there a more perfect encapsulation of what Spurs are as a club than a shock win over a team they should never beat, followed by a shithoused one nothing loss to a team they should kill? That's just who, that's like, they're, it's, 
that it's, it's it's something that spurs like a club that obviously has ambitions for a higher level need to get over psychologically is this kind of history mm -hmm. of them as a club being good but never great it's i i was so i was talking to my dad who who listeners know is, is a big Tottenham Hotspur fan and, mm. and you know as well uh and i was like i i genuinely think that there's not one sports team in the entire world that more plays to level to the level of their opponent than Tottenham Hotspur it is mm. unbelievable uh and we'll, we'll we'll talk actually a little bit more about Spurs uh, a little later in the pod, uh, focusing on particular the the unbelievable post match interview that uh, that um, Antonio, Antonio Conte, Conte gave after after that loss um, loss to Burnley. But going back to the title race, so uh, a couple of statistics here for you all. Um, going from match day twenty two to now, which we're at just past match day twenty six. City's lead in the league has dwindled down from eight points to only three points above Liverpool. Liverpool uh, has now used their game in hand at that win against Leeds, so they're on the same amount of games. Uh, the two clubs play in April, which is you know promises to be an unbelievable matchup and could, for very obvious reasons, with a three-point gap uh, now, be pretty pretty influential in determining who wins the league this year. Um, and so looking at Liverpool in particular, they are now nine games unbeaten. They have mm -hmm. eight wins in one draw since their last loss. And in those nine games, they've scored 30 goals and allowed just eight. So a, a goal differential of plus 22 in their last nine matches. And the last thing I want to mention here, Jack, before kind of getting your opinion on what's going on at the top of the table, uh, I don't know if you saw this tweet that that came out after the 6-0 win against Leeds, but Liverpool has the three highest goal scorers and assist tally men, let's say, in the mm -hmm. entire Premier League right now, which is unbelievable. Uh, the the three top goal scorers, Mohamed Salah with 19, Diogo Jota with 12, Sadio Mane with 11, and the top three assist makers in the Premier League, Trent Alexander-Arnold Alexander with 10, Mo Salah tied with him uh, with 10 of his own, and then Andy Robertson with nine. Uh, so can talk, obviously, about Mo Salah being uh, first in both of those two categories, uh, maybe the best player in the world right now, but... Jack, just looking at Liverpool and looking at City, what what are you making of this title race that has very quickly formed in the month of February? For me, before I even touch on that, I think what you what you say about Mo Salah is that this for me, this guy is going to be the Ballon d'Or winner this year. He he is mm -hmm. like there is nobody operating on his level right now. Uh, you know, Messi's having an off year. Ronaldo is obviously in decline and on a team around him that is inferior to the teams he's been on in the past. Uh, Lewandowski, still great, mm -hmm. but I, I think you, you've got to give it to Mo Salah for just, you know, the sustained level of excellence. He's the leading scorer in the league, leading assist maker in the league, as you say, all while missing a month due to AFCON, where he was in the finals with an Egypt team that is, you know, him and 10 other guys, basically. Like th this yeah. guy is, yeah. is is great. This guy is fantastic, and obviously a huge, huge, massive part of Liverpool's success. I think another point that you made earlier that I think is gonna be key is the goal differential. We're used to seeing 
Man City run away with like most goals scored, fewest goals allowed. Last year, you know, with the rise of Ruben Diaz, like their goal differential was unreal. Like they barely allowed any goals and scored like a hundred. You know, uh, now we're seeing yeah. Liverpool's front three with the you know reintroduction of Jota in place of Firmino. Uh, they they are the dominant and and as well as Man City is kind of uh reluctance to use a traditional number nine as their main goal scorer sterling actually is their their leading scorer is fourth in the league on 10. um you know it i think neither team is likely to drop a lot of points throughout the rest of uh the campaign both of them are too well drilled too talented too well managed to really collapse the way some other teams have in the past there these these teams are we talk about a big six a lot but for me these two teams are kind of head and shoulders above the other four uh and that includes the the reigning that includes the reigning champions league winners chelsea uh you know Mm -hmm. into my mind man city and chelsea and uh, liverpool are far better than them right now and you know, no disrespect to Chelsea, no disrespect to Thomas Tuchel for the job he's done there. It's just these teams are operating, on, at least on a domestic level, at a all-time historic level of greatness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got to appreciate that while we see that. Uh, this is, you know... Absolutely. Uh, you know, it hasn't been often in the past few years that we've had a close title race usually like in the past few years it's kind of been you know not totally obvious but you know it, it, it doesn't come down to like the last month of the season a lot of the time uh you know it's kind of been obvious who's going to win since about christmas uh mm-hmm. in the past few years With that April 10th match being the biggest match, like that, that to me, that match is on level with a cup final, on level with like yeah. a tournament final. Like that, that's an incredibly key match because if Liverpool drop that, that to me decides the race. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, if they, if yeah. they lose to City there, that's going to be it because City are not going to drop a whole lot of points between now and then, if any. Yeah. And, but if Liverpool do win that, they've got the goal difference advantage. They've got, you know, arguably some of the most informed players in the world, uh, barring significant injury to that squad. You know, it's hard to argue against them as potential champions. I agree. I agree. And I mean, what just what you were just talking on in terms of the the closeness of first and second in a title race, the only the only other year in recent history that we did see that close was the the Man City title, where they both teams broke respective records for goals mm-hmm. scored and points. And and Liverpool pretty much had a borderline perfect season and didn't win the title. So we are because Man, it, it Man City set set at like a hundred points in the league, you know, an unbelievable, exactly. unbreakable achievement. <laughs> 
Exactly. So you're, you're right. I, I think the point about these two clubs being a level above everybody else, the big two rather than the big six, I, I think that that's, that's really on the mark. Um, Chelsea started off hot this year, has, has kind of toiled off. Their, their goal scoring has decreased in, in recent months, but it's the exact opposite. The trajectory for Liverpool and City has continued to rise. And as you mentioned, Liverpool with two two or three players that you could probably say are, you know, the best, if not the top two or three in their respective positions in the world. Salah, Van Dyke, Allison, you know, could be in that conversation for goalkeeper. So I, I think oh, it this, is you know what this might be a little early, but maybe I do my hot take now. Alexander Oh. You know, a lot of people yeah. last summer were counting, or I guess maybe two, whenever the Euros were. Uh, was that two summers ago or was that last summer? That was last summer. That was last, last summer. summer yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be 2020 and then the pandemic delayed it, so it was last summer. So uh, mm -hmm. Alexander Arnold, to me, is as good a right back as anybody in the world. And the fact yeah. that he was borderline going to be in that England squad behind Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier, and um and reese james is crazy because this guy is mm -hmm. the most he's unlike any player at his position in terms and you know obviously it's not in the traditional mold of a right back and there are people who will sure. say that his better he may be better suited to being a mid like a defensive covering midfielder or a wing back that sort of thing but this guy is part of an unbelievable defense at Liverpool. He is as offensively creative as literally anybody in the league. He is tied with Salah for most assists. He He's good from dead ball situations. He's good open play. He can mark your, him as man well. I, you know, I, I felt like he was really disrespected in the last year. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people are starting to realize again that this guy is as good as it gets. I agree. I, I think that's a good point. You're right. Like it, it, he is not a defender as like if you were if you were in the year 2000, you would not describe him as a defender. You, you'd no. watch him and say this is a a midfielder. But th that is the the Klopp system, right? Is is being able to have these uh, these wingbacks who shuttle and to have a, a center back pairing of. Right now, Van Dyke and Konate, Van Dyke and Joe Gomez, Van Dyke and Matip, who who just shut it all down in the middle. So yeah. I think that I think that's a really good point. I think that there was a little bit too much of an overreaction. There was probably from you know how how good of a year he had two seasons ago, and there was a little bit of a drop off. But I think that the the fire is definitely under their belly. And uh, before we move on to to kind of my second talking point here, Jack, the the one other thing I did want to ask you is. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about Liverpool here, but yeah, for, for City to win the title, for, for City to hold on to this three-point lead and, and finish this season at the top, what, what do you think they need to do? What do you think the biggest things for Manchester City that need to happen for them to not let this slip? You know, it's difficult to say because, you know, I, I, I've, I've been complimentary of Liverpool just now. But City haven't done a whole lot wrong. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they're still first in the table. They're still, you know, have an unbelievable goal differential. We've only dropped points in, you know, six games all season. Uh, you know, they, they really are quite a good team. 
and you know that's that's like saying the obvious but you know it, it yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's like it's like to american sports fans man city is kind of like what lebron james is is that they've been so good for so long now you kind of take them for granted and if they're not I think like that's a good comparison. yeah if you're not like if they're not breaking records you're like oh man they're maybe not as good as they once were and you're forgetting that they're still incredible uh yeah so you know city i don't think they have a lot to worry about in terms of team discipline or coaching because obviously guardiola is you know you know one of the top managers in the world if not the top uh and they've been there before this is a squad that by and large you know is experienced is one of the reigning champions several times over uh you know i think what they just have to do is find a well first off stay healthy first you know mm -hmm. obviously a lot some key players have missed some games this year de bruyne has been in and out uh de bruyne to me being their key best player uh, no, just you know, obviously yeah, in a I'd team of in a, in a team of stars, he is the star to me. Yes, um, I agree. You know, honestly, it, it's hard to say what else they can do. It's just don't deviate course and win mm -hmm. that Liverpool game. <laughs> and win that yeah, Liverpool yeah, game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's it, 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 it's a good point, right? Because as much as we did talk about Liverpool, they're still City is still in first. So in yeah. in theory, if if they you know you look at the table and you say if they keep doing what they have done, they will win the league. That is that is Just, that is how you know extrapolating data works as you yeah. <laughs> like it'll this this won't change at any point so i agree with you just, i think just that, remain like, focused don't underestimate the other teams you've got along the way um mm -hmm. you know on a what would i if on terms in terms of things i would like to see from city but is obviously hasn't been affecting whether they win or lose too much you know they just dropped a whole lot of money on jack Grealish. And yeah. I know he's been injured, but I want to see that kid do more because, you know, yeah. he, he, he hasn't really. And maybe it's I mean, I don't think it's because, you know, nothing wrong with Sterling and Mares. You know, they're the great, great players. But, you know, Pep is the type of guy that will rotate players and give, you know, squad members a chance. And Grealish just hasn't done enough with those opportunities when even when he has been healthy and I so if, I, if there's something if there's something i really want to see out of city it would be one to improve performance out of Grealish, and two I, I know it's worked for them i'm not crazy about the false nine system okay. uh you know obviously really the only striker they've got at this point is jesus and they've been playing him on the wing from which i kind of so, like actually i've talked to, i've talked about this on the podcast before i think he's a better winger than he is a striker but i but i see your point who do you put up I, top? I i disagree although i will concede that jesus is an underrated uh crosser of the ball 
he he actually mm-hmm. is quite good from that wing position in terms of being creative rather than being a pure finisher in the mold of like Aguero. But I think yeah. that City team, if they did have a pure finisher like that, and obviously, you know, we're, we're well past this now, but there was for a long time this season the drama about whether they would go and get Harry Kane. Uh, if they get that, like, pure finisher, I, I just don't see how you beat that team. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true. I, I, I think the Grealish point is good. I mean, he's only played 17 games in the league and scored two goals and had two yeah. assists. Like, that is a a poor output uh, for any player who's playing at, at a wing advanced position. Um, I, I agree with you that the false nine works, but like it, but how much better could they be? Right. How much right. better could they be with a, with a cane, with a Holland, with, you know, these, these guys who are just lethal number nines. Uh, Dude, you don't really even need that. Like with ones. a, da- with a Danny Ings quality player up top, like they would be just yeah. in my mind, they'd be better than, no, like no disrespect to like obviously I think De Bruyne is great, Foden's great, but those guys aren't nines, you know. Like if yeah. you have like right. a guy who's like a quality finisher, and it doesn't have to be a Holland, it doesn't have to be a Lewandowski, it just has to be a guy like that team's gonna create chances. So if you get yeah. like a semi-competent striker up there, that's all you need. A guy who can get into the right places and put the ball away. You're right. I agree exactly. with you. I, exactly. I think that you're, you're a team without a, a proper striker being in first proves that they don't need a world-class striker to be able to do the same thing. Right, uh, exactly. So, yeah, I, I I think these are all good points. It's going to be really very, very entertaining to watch us. Uh, again, they, Liverpool, City, uh, the the game of the year will be on April 10th, uh, quite a few games before then. So we'll, we'll see kind of what it's shaping up at. At that point, you know, who knows if it'll be a three-point gap. Um, it'll be a smaller gap, a bigger gap. Perhaps even Liverpool takes the lead in the league. So either way, it'll be a, a massive match, regardless of kind of what we're looking at in terms of the exact positioning in the league. Now, uh, Jack, for my my second talking point today, uh, before we kind of go over to the things that you, the, the matters that you wanted to raise, I want to go to the other end of the table. Um, yeah. And so in, in the same way that the uh, the race for the top two, the race for the top four ha- has gotten really, really tight and interesting, uh, we're seeing the same thing uh, in the relegation zones, um, namely Newcastle and Burnley, who are two teams that are kind of on the up right now uh, with Brentford and Leeds going in the exact opposite direction. There are, there are obviously other clubs around there, uh, as we mentioned before, Norwich losing again today for their second match in the row. Uh, Watford has been toiling the entire year, but I wanted to pick out those four clubs in particular. And the reason for that is if we look at Newcastle and Burnley, Newcastle now unbeaten in six games. Uh, We have three wins and three draws in that period of time. Uh, And Burnley, fairly similar form. They only have one loss in their last six. uh, And of the other five matches, two wins and three draws. So two clubs that are are in a bit better of a run of form than they were earlier in the season. Uh, And then for Brentford and Leeds, uh, Brentford have now gone seven matches without a win. And they've lost all, uh, they've lost six of those seven matches. So uh, it's not really an even split between draws and losses. Uh, it's, it's very heavily tipped on them losing pretty much every game. And Leeds are now five without a win, four of those being losses. They're shipping goals left and right. They now 
have gone four matches in a row, giving up at least three goals in each of those matches. Like horrendous, yeah. horrendous defense. Uh, so my question to you is this, Jack. I, I want your general opinion on those four clubs, but uh, let's let's start it with the you know kind of the biggest question of all: who, who survives? I think in my mind, Newcastle will survive. You know, I, I think there's there's been obviously significant investment in the January window to bring in Chris Wood, Trippier, um, somebody else I'm missing, uh, Matt Target. Uh, you know, the, these those are quality, proven Br- Bruno level Bruno Gr- Gr- Bruno Guimaraes was our biggest yeah. purchase, a player Ever. who has played four minutes in three matches so far. Yeah, but you know, your previous record signing was Joe Linton, who uh, you signed to be a striker and is then ten turning out to be an excellent center central central defensive uh, midfielder phenomenal <laughs> midfielder yeah it's the biggest narrative of the year for me yeah for that guy, guy can't um, score but man he can win a tackle <laughs> yeah it's, it's wild it really is um yeah i mean i you know there's significant investment obviously the results have been there eddie howe i think is a good manager who who's really brought a sense of belief along with yeah. the knowledge that there will be future investment back to the club I think the mentality is there with Newcastle, as well as you've got some players that have picked up their level as well. Like Willick has been playing a lot better recently, I feel like. And, uh, you know, not reaching the lofty heights of his loan spell at the end of last season where he scored in like eight straight games. But, you know, I think he's been, uh, you know, very solid. Obviously, Callum Wilson being out is hurting. Uh, When St. Maximin has been healthy, he's been phenomenal. Uh, but you know, it's, what's good is that this investment in the team, uh, although I guess actually, I suppose I mentioned Trippier, but Trippier has got a broken foot now, doesn't he? And he might, he may, is he done for the year yeah. or yeah. Okay. So they're, that, they're, that they're hoping hurt. that they're, they're hoping that he's back with a few games to play, but he is at a significant okay. period of time. Yeah. All right. Well, in, in either case, you know, I think that infusion of fresh blood along with the knowledge that generally the future of the club is on the upswing after so many years of having one of the worst owners professional sports has ever seen and just having like a very negative opinion of the club both from supporters and outside viewers you know there's a reason to believe in newcastle again and i think the fans see it i think the players see it i think the rest of the league sees it and for that reason i think newcastle is going to survive to me, I know you said to focus on those four clubs, Newcastle, Burnley, Brentford, and, and Leeds. To me, I think at no point have I expected Norwich to survive. Norwich is like the, they're an, they're the ultimate yo-yo club. They'll be back in two yes. years, but they're going down this year. Uh, exactly. Nor, Nor, Norwich is dead in the water. I agree. They had yeah. those two wins uh, a few matches ago that, you know, it looked yeah. like they might turn around, but I, I think Norwich is done. Norwich I, I also, I, I, I also personally think Watford will not survive. I, I don't see a situation I, in which that happens. You know, the the sentimental Palace fan in me would like to see Roy uh, succeed and bring Watford back, but honestly, it's it's more likely that he gets fired after like four games in charge because Watford are so exactly. trigger happy that way. But, oh my gosh! Uh, no, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Honestly, Watford, I think, will probably go down as well. Um, 
to me, of the teams you've mentioned, the one that I think is in the most trouble is Leeds. And mm. perhaps maybe this is a bit reactionary because of how much they've underperformed relative to their success last year. Um, yep. But, you know, they are dealing with significant long-term injuries in the squad. Calvin Phillips has been out since December. Bamford as well. And he wasn't even playing well when he was in the team. Uh, they've always been, you know, score a lot, concede a lot. And yeah. the scoring is not... It's not happening for them at the same rate that it was last year. You know, these defensive yeah, problems only, only existed 29, last 29 year, goals and but they got matches. away with it because they were scoring. Now that the goals have dried up somewhat, and obviously you've got players yeah. like Rafinha who are, you know, playing are playing very well. But, you know, who else? Who else is scoring goals for them? Rodrigo's only got a few. Jack Harrison's got four in the league, but three of those came in one game. You know? Yeah they're just not creating and scoring at the same level that they need to. And I hate to say this because I think Biels is a brilliant manager, but I think if, you know, another couple of results don't go their way, they need to think about making a change because things are not trending the way they need to. You, you, so this is something I've talked about with my roommate Noah quite a bit, who, who's been on the pod in the past. That he he thinks that there is no situation in which Marcelo Bielsa gets fired. And the 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 point is not the point he is making is not that there's no chance he should get fired. It's that due to like what he has done for that club and mm-hmm. his kind of legendary status that he holds, getting the back into the Premier League for the first time in was it 19 seasons, I believe. He's like there is no situation in his mind in which Marcelo Bielsa gets fired but I, and, I think you're making a good point it's like at what at what point do you think okay we we need to do something here in in fairness that may be true but yeah. I think if I was a Leeds fan I would be disappointed to hear that because you know obviously that's been the case in the class in, in the past for managers like Sean Dyche or Eddie Howe when Bournemouth and Bur- or Burnley and Bournemouth respectively got relegated, they didn't lose their jobs immediately because yeah. they were small clubs who were overperforming. Obviously, Sean Dyche got them back too. Uh, you know, and I would be disappointed as a Leeds fan to hear that Leeds were hanging on to that kind of small club mentality because i think for a lot of leeds Mm. fans they remember like the historical greatness of the leeds teams of the 80s and earlier like this is not successful teams in english history absolutely you know this is a club that has been among the best and yes they they, there was a there was a prolonged period of of struggle, of hurt. But now that they're back, you can't afford as a club, I think if either from a mentality standpoint and certainly not from a financial standpoint, to say, all right, well, at least we made it back. We can go back to struggling again. I think you have to seize that opportunity. And if that means that the guy who got you back there, but might also drop you back down there, 
it has to go, then that's the sacrifice that has to be made. Because this is a team I that I think deserves more. I agree. I think that's I, I, very well said, right? It's it's the, it's, do you, do you look at the sentimental, the, the kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, like the personal side of it, of loving this manager and loving what he has done with the club and how exciting they were last year, as you said. Um, and then there's the logic and also the the fear of, yeah, what happens if you go back down and it's another 19, 17, 19 years until you come back up. I, I think that you're right. That has to be a huge point of contention in the decision of if Marcelo Bielsa is the right man to 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 last the the remainder of this season. And and I agree with you. I think that Leeds, you know, we we've seen them recently uh, a loss to Newcastle, a loss to Liverpool, a 3-3 draw to Aston Villa, a team that doesn't score a ton of goals and put up three against their leaky back line, uh, a, a previous 7-0 loss to Manchester City earlier in the year. Like this is an issue that has been there all season. Um, and, and it was yeah, there. It I, was there. It was there last season. Too. It was there last year, but they had but, you know, enough but, goals but they, to make up for it. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's that. I think is yeah. my main point is that now that the goals have dried up, they're being exposed a little bit. And oftentimes, and the you, isn't getting better. And oftentimes, you do see that in newly promoted teams that you, they have a successful first year, and then the second year there's a bit of a sophomore slump. And I think that's what's yeah. kind of hitting, uh, you know, because teams have been exposed to them more, have a little bit more time to figure them out. out. And, you know, I think exactly. that's really what's happening to Leeds right now. So I think they maybe do, you know, again, Bielsa has obviously done a great job to bring them up there in the first place. But the, the sustained success is looking shaky right now. And it may be time to add, you know, a new philosophy into the club so that they aren't figured as out they aren't figured out quite so yeah. easily. I agree. I agree. So that, that point on leads, we're, we're definitely on the same page there. Uh, the two other clubs that, that I would love uh, a kind of a, a quick opinion on from you then is, is Brentford, the newly promoted side that has been, mm-hmm. has been really in a tailspin recently. Uh, and then Everton, uh, Adam and I have talked about Everton extensively. I know that you wanted to chat a little bit about Everton today, but yeah. Everton below leads in the table. They, they are in 16th, only two points above Burnley in 18th. It is important to note that Everton has only played 23 matches, less than Newcastle, less than Watford, Norwich. However, not less than Burnley. Burnley's also on 23. So, you know, the, for, for, what it's worth, before, for what it's worth, before I even get into Everton, I also think, you know, by saying that I think Leeds are in trouble, I am also saying that I do think Burnley will survive. You know, yeah. I, I think that Burnley will make it. You know, they are, you know, they're obviously the, the problem with Burnley is the problem that a lot of clubs towards the bottom have is that they don't score enough goals. I think they're trying to address that by bringing in Beghorst, uh, who his seems to be off to a decent start. But yeah. Burnley, you know, and for years now they have been, are a very defensively solid team. You know, they've only conceded 29 goals this season. That's really good. Like, that's fewer than Man United. That's fewer than West Ham. Like, that's a really good record. And the fact that they're, like, in the bottom three is really a product of the the inefficiency of their offense rather than the, you know 
inefficiency of their defense. Their defense is solid. Me and Tarkowski have for years now been one of the best center back partnerships in the league, in my opinion. I agree. With um, that. Yeah. So, you know, I think there will be, you know, obviously Burnley teams have never scored all that much, but I think, you know, I think they'll be okay because they're not likely to get blown out in any of the games that they do lose. They do find ways to be tough and physical and shithouse wins like that one nothing win against Spurs recently. And you know, and, and Deitch has been in, you know, they've got the longest tenured manager in the Premier League, which is something I realized they today do. when I was looking up trivia uh, facts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but like Deitch has, what Deitch has done with that club, like really, truly a small club and brought them act, like real success, brought Burnley to Europe, which is a crazy, crazy thing to say. <laughs> is unbelievable that that guy is a just a, such a perfect fit for that club if there's anybody who can motivate like there's no there's no shot he gets fired right because there's nobody that can do a better job with Burnley than Sean Dyche has I I, agree. I, I, I agree really that. believe that I think you could put Jurgen Klopp at Burnley and he wouldn't do as well as uh, as Sean Dyche has with them he just fits it so perfectly and I think you know it might not be pretty but I do think Burnley's going to survive as for Everton, I Frank Lampard to me is one of the most interesting managers in the league. He was very good with Derby in his first year as a manager in the championship. I think he got thrown into the deep water of being Chelsea manager a little bit too soon. I think, you know, I Chelsea, you being, being the sure. manager being the manager of Chelsea, uh, obviously a notoriously difficult job because of the short leash you're given. Although I guess we'll get into that in a little bit later, but maybe that'll change soon. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I, I did like some of the things Lampard did at Chelsea, which was bring through some of the youth talent. He brought through your Reese James's, your Hudson Adoy's, uh, before he left Fakayo Tamori. Um, Billy Gilmore, um, Mason Mount, all, all players that I think, maybe with the exception of Gilmore, have, uh, you know, future as top-level players. Everton's youth system, not quite as good as Cobham. Uh, but I do think he will provide a little bit of more positive belief into that team. And honestly, really, when it comes down to it, you know, now that I think about it, I don't know how much of their success is going to be Lampard and how much of it is going to be that it's not Rafa Benitez. From the yeah, beginning, as soon a, as, as, as soon as, and that's no disrespect to Rafa because he's had a legendary career, but Everton was a horrible, horrible fit for him. Both yes. from like the type of team he tends to thrive in, as well as like this was never a fan base that was going to accept him 
This was never exactly. like, you know, a team that was going to unite around Rafa. And honestly, it's not really the type of job that I, I think Rafa Benitez at this point in his career is probably better suited for a national team job than for a, a, a club team. A week in, week out type, type yeah. job. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I just, you know, this Everton team, obviously they've had injuries with Calvert-Lewin being out for significant stretches. Uh, to me, the decision to sell Luca Digne is absolutely baffling. Uh, yeah. And the, and the business they did over the summer, I know that, like, Everton fans will say that, like, Damari Gray has been a, uh, you know, one of the best players this season. But if I'm an Everton fan, and, and, and honestly, rightfully so, Damari Gray has been one of their best players this season. But if I'm an Everton fan, like two seasons removed from signing James Rodriguez, you know, like why am I settling? I, and I know Rodriguez didn't want to be there after Ancelotti left, but we should, like, they should be expecting better. They should, yeah, like, they should be really expecting better backing. Like, you know, the fact that players of Digne's caliber want to leave is not a good sign for your club. And I, I, I look, at the end of the day, you're asking me about where Everton going to be. Everton are going to survive. They've never been relegated in the history of the Premier League. They're not going to be this year. Mm -hmm. But I'd be worried. I would be worried about the future because yeah. I, I think this, this upcoming summer is going to be crucial in the terms of which types of players – Lampard brings in and how he is able to transform this club come next season. Yes. I think that's a good point. Yeah. I I've, I've, I've said a lot on the podcast that I think Everton can go down. I probably once or twice have said, I think they will go down. Um, my, my opinion on Everton is very similar to yours. I, I think they need long-term strategy, which is something they pretty much have have not had in, in the last decade or yeah. so they need to give the manager time to, to implement his style and bring in his, you know, his players and his people. Uh, the one thing I will say on Everton uh, before, before I kind of, I'll, I'll close out this section by just asking yeah. who you think the three teams are that are going to drop. Uh, the one thing I'll say on Everton is I, I think they stay up to no credit of their own. I think they stay up yeah. only because there are three teams that will be worse than them at the end of the year. Correct. That's, yeah, that is I, it. Everton, Everton has had one of the worst seasons. Uh, like this is one of the worst seasons I've ever seen a team have in the sense of expectation versus reality. You you can mm -hmm. say maybe a similar thing about Leicester. Leicester has also had a ton of injuries. They are yeah. a little bit higher in the table. Um, but for the amount of money that's been poured into Everton, to to see them in this position is miserable. Luckily for them, there there are three teams that are worse than them. And that's, that's, yeah. that's all I, I think I, about Everton. You know, my, I gave kind of a long rambling answer there. I think that that, okay. summarizes, <laughs> that summarizes it a lot better, is that, yes, they are not good, <laughs> but there are three worst teams. And to get to, to predict your next question, the three teams I see going down are the ones I mentioned. It's going to be Norwich, Watford, and I think Leeds. You think late? So you think you think Brentford can just stay up? I do. I do think they also need to bring Ivan Tony back into the fold. I know there was the controversy where he was caught on camera in Dubai saying "fuck Brentford" and he's skipped some games or skipped some games since then. But like, 
the reality is, like I said, like a lot of, you know, bottom of the table clubs, they struggle to score goals and they need Ivan Tony. They need that guy, the one guy on their team who can reliably score goals. So if you go working back, like whatever it takes, work him back in because they're going to be back in the championship if they don't. Yes, I agree. Uh, Brentford, another club, three teams worse than Brentford. Not that Brentford yeah. is a decent team right now in any capacity. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with you right now. I think it'll be Norwich, Watford, and, and probably Leeds at the, at the rate that, that we are seeing. Um, all right, Jack. Well, wonderful. Those those were kind of my two main talking points yeah. for, for this episode. So uh, why don't we – do you want to take a – do we take the commercial break now and then get into yours, or do you want to – dig into your stuff before we take a, a quick breather what do you think yeah no let's uh let's do my stuff i think before the commercial break and then uh perfect because i because i i'll be i think i'll be quick um you know i think the first thing i wanted to bring up is something you alluded to earlier in the podcast which is uh the press conference that antonio conte gave after the defeat to burnley spurs now looking at four defeats in their last five the one win being kind of a freak win over Man City. Mm -hmm. Conte gave, you know, for a guy who is usually very fiery, braggadocious, you know, a proven winner, gave a remarkable interview in the fact that he basically admitted failure at the club. Like he's, yeah. he, he said, like, the club's going to have to figure out what to do with me. Like, if they want to back me. And, you know, it, it's a remarkable thing because we've seen how successful Conte can be. Both in the Premier League, he won the league with Chelsea, uh, and abroad. You know, this guy's one of the top managers in the world. He just won Serie A last year uh, with, yep. with Inter, breaking Juventus's stream of uh, string of dominance there you know yes conte is a bit of an egomaniac he is the type of coach that can blame his players sometimes and that's why it's kind of crazy to see him you know have this moment of almost self-realization that winning doesn't come easy and it mm. does raise the question, is this guy the right guy for the Spurs job? Because yeah. as I said earlier, the Spurs job really is to finish fourth. If you take the job at Spurs, your job's to finish fourth. And I know Spurs fans who remember Pochettino and making it to the Champions League finals will say it's more than that. But no, it isn't. Levy will be happy if you finish <laughs> Like, your job is yeah. to keep that Champions League money coming in. And if it doesn't, then you're gone. Uh, so, that's, you know, they've got talent there, obviously. Uh, Kane obviously hasn't been up to his lofty standards this year. So, but, you know, Son is fantastic. Uh, I think I like the signings they brought in for Juventus, Bengor, and um, I, I never pronounced, but uh, like cool. There you go. Um, 
But yeah, I like those signings. They've been, I think they're positive. Uh, and I think, you know, in the, in the January window, they off, they offloaded some dead weight in Delhi Alley. I know and Dombele is only out on loan, but he's, you know, he's doesn't have a future at the club. Uh, I, I think really where this team struggles the most is that they haven't adequately replaced Alderweireld than Vertonghen. Like they need a better, like th- those two for a while were really like the best center back pairing in the Premier League for me. And they yeah. really need to find that again. They need to find that defensive stability. The, the midfields. Conte doesn't seem to like Hoiberg as much as Mourinho did. He's also offloaded LaCelso. The midfield needs improvement, I think, as well. Um, I, the, Bergvine could be a more consistent player. You know, Conte is right in one respect in that this team has individual stars, but there's not consistent greatness across the pitch. In my opinion, you know, I agree this with is that. Yeah. this is this is a this is a team that no, they shouldn't be an eighth, but they're not a top four team, not yeah. relative to the rest of the league. And I don't know that Conte is going to change that, but I really don't know that any manager is going to change that because I think what's holding them back is a lack of investment. And I think it's yeah. It's I was Daniel gonna Levy. say, is it Daniel, Daniel Levy? Because da- I yeah. I think Daniel Levy is the biggest problem at that club. I think that yeah. Daniel Levy is one of the worst. I I think that Daniel Levy is uh, Daniel Levy is the shining example of how a good businessman does not make a good director of football, right? right. Like doesn't right. make a good. And I know he's. I actually I don't think his title is technically director of football, the chair chairman of the club. But yeah, I think Daniel Levy is is what holds Spurs back. I mean, you, mm-hmm. like you said, they they over, they overachieved and made the Champions League final, and within a year, Maurizio Pochettino was gone. Uh, and that you, you could probably make the argument that he wanted to go to a bigger club. The, the PSG job was open, but I think that you're right. The last well, I think, I think, the I think of, Pochettino, I think Pochettino wanted the Madrid job because that was open yeah. when they, they, ultimately they went in a different direction. And it, ultimately, it seems like Pochettino won't stay with PSG either. Uh, Which is interesting, yeah. I, I, right. I do, but you're right. They gave up on him too early because they were mm-hmm. overperforming with the squad they had under Pochettino. And instead of recognizing that they were overperforming, they kind of deluded themselves into believing that they were legitimately great and that significant reinvestment was not required to get back to that stage and that's where they've suffered i agree i think that that's a good way of putting it uh and obviously antonio conte as you said you know listing his plaudits he he could very well be if if there's I, I think you put it perfectly. If if he's not the right man for the job, is there a right man for the job? It, it's about no, because Conte is a top five manager in the world. Like it's it, for yeah. me, it's him, Guardiola, Klopp, Simeone, and Tuchel. Probably those are the top five managers in the world to me. I like that. It, I like that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that the issues at Spurs run very deep. And you... you Hon- honorable, men- honorable mention Ancelotti. Yes, Ancelotti. Uh, yeah, I, I put Ancelotti above uh, above Simeone right now. The Atletico Madrid is is kind of on, on the down. Although I, 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 I can't rate right. Diego Simeone to high enough in a, in a league where... This is getting off the point, but in a league where you have two giants, the fact that Simeone has made Atletico Madrid a title winner multiple times. I can't rate him highly enough as a manager. I think he's fantastic. That's, that's fair. I guess it's, it's if you're looking at right this second or like the, the kind of, uh, you know, what they have accomplished in the last few years. I I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I would say, I'd say, um, yeah, I guess my, my two kind of like summary points on Spurs are, they will never you're like they will never ever achieve greatness while Daniel Levy runs that club. I mm-hmm. believe that to be true. Uh, and their their biggest issue this year is that attack. It is the inconsistency of of Kane. It's these surrounding Kane with guys not named Youngman Son who are just aren't that who aren't good enough. I mean, you, like Tottenham Hotspur twenty twenty four matches into the season have scored less goals than Southampton and Crystal Palace. Like that is a that's unbelievable to think about though from a Spurs it perspective, is. right? It is. Like how how in the world is that is that the case? So I, I think that for Spurs, you need to have better players around Kane if you are able to keep <laughs> Kane and you you need if you, to do if you told me that at you the, don't have the option if, of doing, which is if you told me at the letting. start of the season if you told me at the start of the season that Emmanuel Dennis would have more goals than Harry Kane, I would have slapped you in the face and called you a liar. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's insane. It's 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 actually a wild thing to look at Spurs this year. Um, but yes, Antonio Conte will he keep the job? We don't know. I I doubt he gets fired because I, I think it. that there would be widespread revolt. But um, and yeah, and it, also, it is, where do you go? And also, watch. also, where do you, where go, from do you yeah. go from Conte? They've had Mourinho. They've had Conte. There's there's no top level manager left. Like, I mean, I think, look, we're also brushing over Nuno Espirito Santos, who was there in between them, uh, who was yeah. obviously not the right man for the job either. Uh, I think for the type of, amb- of ambition Spurs purports to have, you need a top manager. But there aren't a lot available. Like, Zidane isn't going to go to Spurs. Well, they're, not gonna, so I think they're not going to hire... They're not going to hire Ten Hag from Ajax. I was, like, I was gonna, I was gonna say. So Ten Hag is one I was thinking about because I was going to. Say, I agree that he, I think he'll probably take the Man United job. That's what a lot yeah. of people are saying. Um, but I think Spurs need to make the decision of: Do we want a young? Not it. It doesn't even have to be that young. It doesn't have to be like you know, Nagelsmann or, or the current coach of RB Salzburg, whose name is escaping me, who's also thirty three mm-hmm. years old. Um, March, but it's, do we want now? J- Jesse Marsh was the coach of Salzburg who went to Leipzig and then and then got gotcha. fired. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. But but it's it's do we want a young progressive manager that can build a team around like this identity that he is building, or do we want an established manager who we know what we're getting out of him? He's proven successful, a Mourinho, a Conte, or do we want a Pochettino? Because I, the, you know, the the jury is out so far with with Conte but you saw what 
Pochettino was able to achieve with that club as a young manager who had come up in Spain, gone to Southampton, gone to Spurs. Um, but now they have gone back to that established kind of old guard and it, it hasn't been working for them. So it'll be very to be interesting honest, to see. To yeah. be honest, I think the best move for the club and for the manager would be to rehire Pochettino. That would be wild. That would be that would be a wild narrative. I yes, it would. But tell me, what's the next job? I like Pochettino it. Gets what's the next job Pochettino gets? Is it's not going to be better than Spurs? Yeah. It's I, it's not because he hasn't blown the world away at PSG. It's it's probably it's I would say it's probably it's him or Ten Hag for for Manchester United. I think. I think what I the, think that what, that's probably. I think what that what'll depend on that there is if they've got Rangnick at United right now, who has like is only contracted through the end of the season and has that special consultancy after that. Yeah. That was how he got the job at Leipzig. Is that he was brought on as a consultant and then recommended that he be hired as the head coach. Huh. So I could see him being, you know, if Man United you know, even if they stumble their way to fourth, I can see him recommending himself to be the head coach after that, you know? Ooh, that would be wild. Ah, man, I I think he wants, I don't think he wants to be the manager of that club. I, I think he wants to go back to, you know, his kind of directorial position. That would be wild. I, I think it'll be Poach or Ten Hog, but I agree with you. I, I think that if we'll, we'll see how the remainder of the season goes for Spurs, we'll see how the whole relationship with Conte plays out. Um, but if it isn't working, yeah, you and you, actually, you actually, me, the athletic, the athletic, the athletic today reported that a lot of sources within Spurs say they cannot see Conte being the manager next season. Really, that's crazy. Yeah. So I, I think then this is my take. Whoever man you doesn't hire of Pochettino and Ten Hag, you go after. Yeah, I think and you throw my... you throw the bag at them like the biggest bag possible. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, <laughs> uh, I'm imagining uh, a meeting of Pochettino and um, and Daniel Levy, and it's it's the scene in. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, you watch that show, right, Jack? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a, scene, it's a scene in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in the episode when uh, when Frank's brother comes to town and Frank is just like, you came crawling back, you big piece of shit. <laughs> That's both. It's a wild situation where both Lee both, and both of them say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly how it would go down. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man, that would be that would be wild. Well, yeah, I mean if gosh, if if Conte doesn't stay, I uh, yeah, I don't know. They they got to hire someone, right? They have to hire somebody. They have to keep Harry happy. Um and Pochettino made Harry happy. So, another no, another reason there. Hey, I mean, you know who's another free agent coach? Hey, Spurs can always bring back Tim Sherwood. That is true. That is true. Get him out of the studio. He was didn't he? Wasn't, wasn't it like he had he had, the, he had that he had the, like the highest points total of any manager after his first like eight games in charge or something like some yeah, bullshit yeah, yeah. record that means nothing. Right. <laughs> it's like how uh, like how Sam Allardyce is the most successful England manager of all time. Yes, because he only that's, managed that's one game one. and got a win. Yeah, one game, absolute W. Yeah, uh, that. 
yeah that is <laughs> that is funny that is really good okay uh so from from one end of london to another uh i know that you wanted to talk and this is really changing the dial in terms of the tone yeah. i i guess um but talking about chelsea and not maybe necessarily about the performance that the team has had this season, right. uh, but a little bit more about what's going on in the world and how that ties into Chelsea football club. Yeah. So originally this was going to be a more, when Zach first asked me to be on the podcast, this was going to be a more lighthearted bit about uh, Abramovich's reign over Chelsea. But obviously, with, with the events of the last week um, and Abramovich's significant ties to the Putin regime in Russia, uh, this takes on, as you say, a different tone. Um, Bloomberg today is reporting that Abramovich is looking to sell the club. And it certainly seems like that would be in response to potential sanctions from either the EU or the United States or from individual member states of the EU. Uh, in any case, you know, there are, there are members of parliament in the UK that are openly calling for Abramovich to be banned from owning Chelsea. Mm -hmm. and, he's already been banned. Know, he's already been banned from living in England, right? Correct, correct. And now he has yeah. Israeli and Portuguese citizenship. Um, the reality is, and a lot of you know, in the last few years, some of the biggest clubs in the world have been taken over by less than savory characters. I think is a polite way to put it. So it's a very, very gentle way of putting and, it. Yes. And the original, the original kind, if you see this as kind of like the downfall of the moral, you know, goodness of football, then you can you can you can trace this all back to when they to when the Premier League let Abramovich buy Chelsea. And from 100%. you know, from a Chelsea from from a Chelsea supporters point of view, yes, Abramovich has been a good owner and that he has invested significantly in the club. He has overseen the best period in of success in Chelsea's history. But this guy, you know, this guy is a criminal. He's he's a, you know, he made his money through ill-gotten means. He he is for years basically acted as one of the kingmakers in Russia. After Yeltsin retired, it was Abramovich who personally recommended Putin. And when mm -hmm. Putin had to like sham resign to be prime minister instead of president for a while, it was Abramovich that personally recommended Medvedev. This guy has acted as well, like Putin's personal piggy bank for years. If, if the international community is going to be serious about stopping Russian aggression, this is one of the top guys they need to go after. And they need Absolutely. to place sanctions on him, and they can't allow Chelsea to continue to be run as a form of Russian propaganda. 
you know, this is this is how countries that have not what we would consider our best interests at heart endear themselves to us is that they buy something that is near and dear to us and then associate it with them. You know, so there are a lot of Chelsea fans who won't want to see Abramovich go because Abramovich, like through his ownership of the club, has made them happy. But that's it's it's like Stockholm syndrome. It's like this guy has this mm. asshole has held your club hostage, basically. And actually, that's that's another thing worth bringing up is that. If and when sanctions do come against Abramovich, one of the ways he will remain liquid is by taking money from Chelsea if he continues mm-hmm. to own it. Yeah. Because he there is currently an outstanding $2 billion loan that Abramovich has given Chelsea Football Club. And if he is forced out of Chelsea, he's gonna call he's gonna call them on that loan and he's gonna have two billion dollars that are at his disposal because Chelsea will have to repay them. And yeah. And we all know where that money's going towards. And it's through supporting a regime that is illegitimately invading another sovereign country and will be commuting and will be committing horrible human rights abuses. So this segment was supposed to be about like will Abramovich sell? But frankly, it doesn't matter if Abramovich sells because he either like he's already won. Either he continues to be the owner and he acts as a legit and the, the UK refuses to do shit and he pretends he's a legitimate businessman who happens to be from Russia. Or they throw the book at him and then he calls back the yeah. loan and continues to support the awful shit the Russian government is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, you're right. He's, he's, he's played his cards in such a way that if he, if we want to right, like, talk in, about this in, from a more, if we want to talk about this from a more purely football perspective about what this, I don't, I don't think we really new owner were to come in. I like, I don't think we even really need to. Like, I think Chelsea's yeah. at a place right now where anybody who's coming in is is knows what they're knows what they're signing up for. They're going to be pumping money. Like the the way in like that's Abramovich the other thing has made them in a yeah. But that's, that's like the other thing. Whoever buys it from Abramovich is giving money to Abramovich. Well, yes, yeah. That's that's like, another that's... part of it as well. But also, yeah, I, I I almost think that there's nothing really to talk about from the footballing perspective because. Chelsea is too big of a club to take a step back with a new owner. They'll continue to be big and they'll continue to be successful. And nobody is going to come in and be, you know, tight with the purse strings at Chelsea football club, but you're right. There's, and, and I've, I've talked about this before with a lot of people more, a lot in, in kind of reference to what's going on at Newcastle where I, you know, and I've talked about this with you quite a bit as well, where, and I I don't want to now go into a whole Newcastle segment. That's not what we're trying to do here, but um, uh, uh, if 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 anybody thinks that, like you said, these reprehensible people taking over football clubs is 
has started with Newcastle or started recently. No. You just you haven't been paying attention. Um, you, no. you you haven't been paying attention. And unfortunately, with everything that's going on in the world right now, like a, a, a member of the Russian oligarchy will continue to be making his money. Uh, but but you're right for for the sense of in the sense of what the future holds for for football as a sport and and the emblematic nature he he does need to be ousted he'll he'll make yeah. money either way you're right but he he needs to be gone and i think that yeah. will be happening as you said bloomberg reporting on that i think that's something that will be very it will happen a lot quicker than than people might expect yeah and and honestly i do think it will be because of government intervention i think i think the yes. uk will will take action to prevent him from owning the club for very much longer. Now, for more on Chelsea from the perspective of a lifelong Chelsea fan, we actually uh, got a sound clip from Gus, uh, former co-host and longtime friend of the pod. Uh, Gus is currently in London, actually went to the Chelsea Champions League match last week. Uh, and so I asked him to give me uh, his opinion on the future of the club. Uh, so here he is. This is Angus Armstrong reporting from London, England. In recent days, uh, Roman Abramovich and the and his ownership of Chelsea has come into question. Uh, even going so far as a Labour MP asking to have his ownership uh, removed the other day in Parliament. Um, now, obviously, I am a Chelsea fan, and uh, Roman Abramovich's tenure as custodian of the club has gone about as well as anybody could have, you know, predicted. And it would be sad to see him go, but at the same time, there are allegations against him that some of his wealth is directly tied to Putin and um, the Russian government itself. If those claims are true, then maybe there are grounds to have the football club taken away from him. Um, while I am maybe a little bit too close to the situation to um, have a, an opinion one way or another, uh, I will say it, it certainly clouds the it certainly cloud. It, it makes everything a little bit more opaque, you know, not certain whose side to really be on. But his ownership has certainly been at least come into question in the past couple of days. And we will see more pushback against it as Russia continues to invade Ukraine. Once again, this was Angus Armstrong from London. Is that going to be too hard to transition into the commercial break? Uh, World War Three is about to start, and this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Yeah. Is that, uh, oh. is that too, too, rough, too rough of a transition? Oh man, I, I, I once that that was good. That, in, in terms of providing levity in that exact moment, I, yeah. I, I don't know how I was going to do it. So you, you, you kind of hit it on the mark there. Um, I, I saw a. I saw a really funny tweet once that was like right when I started doing this podcast or right, excuse mm. me, right when I, right when I joined SB Nation and so had ad spots in the pod yeah. and it just said, it said, 
It said, in this episode today, we'll be talking about the worst serial killers in the history of the world. And then it was like, it just said like five second pause. <laughs> it was like, I used to hate cooking meals at home, but with HelloFresh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's how all, if you ever listen to any true, if you're like, my father was the Green River Killer. This story brought yeah. to you by, do you hate reading? Try Audible. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. exactly. There was the, the funniest one. I don't think we've ever had that type of thing happening because I don't believe SB Nation does ad spots like that. But, uh, yeah. or actually, that's not true. We They don't do podcasts that would make that contrast with, with ad spots. Right. But the funniest one that Adam and I had uh, was one time we had a whole segment on, right before the commercial break, this was like a year mm. ago, we had a whole segment on like, everything that's wrong with Manchester United, how they're there. It's a, it's rotten from the core. The glazers are mm. awful, like blah, 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 blah. And we went to a commercial break and we don't know what the ad spot is going to be until I actually mm. publish the episode. I, I tell it where in the episode we took. Oh, well, well I hope, it, I hope it's manscaped now. <laughs> yeah. And I hope it's manscaped as well. Uh, but, but the ad spot that followed like a 25 minute conversation about everything wrong with Manchester United was literally a, a a type of vodka that was doing a special 25th anniversary of the class of 92 for Manchester oh, wow. United. And I was just like, wow. that is perfect. That's that wild. is ideal. Yeah, it was, it was, that was a really good one. Uh, but yes, we, so we will take a commercial break in just a moment. We'll see what the ad spot is now. I'm really, really hoping that it's Manscaped or uh, Trojan or what, what's it called? Uh, not Trojan. Uh, uh, Roman or what one of those one of those companies um but uh be, before we before before we do you know let ourselves go to the whims of ad technology uh Jack I have your first clue yes. for the EPL trivia question I know you've been excited okay. about this um so can so you can again, you also repeat the question yeah thank you absolutely absolutely so I'll repeat the question I'll give you the clue and uh I'll, I want to hear your reaction. I will implore you, implore you not to guess. We're, we're not guessing until the end of the mm. podcast here. Um, but yes, to, to remind folks, the, the EPL trivia question for this episode, which fellow professional club did, which fellow professional football club did mm. Crystal Palace use as inspiration for their current logo? Right. That mm -hmm. is the, right. the question that we have on today. Jack had... It seemed like you, you had a couple of ideas. Uh, your your first thought was that it's not an English club. Correct. Um, I have Correct. Zach Zach Pentax's camp has no response to that statement at, at this time and place. Uh, but your first clue for today is that this club is located in Western Europe. Yeah. So that that does fit with what I had initially guessed it to be. Okay. Uh, obviously, you don't want me to guess right now, but I feel like I'm fairly confident that I know what it is. Oh, okay. All right. I wanted to. I I know that your mind was racing to Palmeiras or and or Corinthians, so I wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> no. Yeah. Thank you. I, you you know you know my mind goes straight to the Brazilian league. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as as any self-respecting man's mind yeah. would. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all right. Well, we we will again give you give you all time to to think about that that clue. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will have armchair pundits 
uh, do a little round of 10 and 90 as we do. And then finally, I will give my second clue and uh, we will find out the answer to the trivia question. So be back in just a moment. Do you want to take a break? Do you have to go to the bathroom or anything? No, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm really enjoying this so far. This is right. a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, this has been this has been a really good one. We've talked about a lot yeah. of really interesting things, so it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, and we're and we're two men who are noted for their enjoyment of talking. So it works yes. out. Really <laughs> <perfectly>. <laughs> oh, man. Um, OK, cool. Yeah, so we'll I'll fucking figure out where in the podcast yeah. we are. It's probably like and an, again, hour, feel 20, free, an hour. Feel free to edit out any of my rambling responses to anything like no 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 we're 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 going pure we're going pure podcast here um I, oh I, shit i'm gonna ha i'm gonna have to okay i just realized i forgot to uh introduce gus for the soundbite he just sent me about chelsea sure. I'll, I'll edit editing is easy yeah. um okay cool well yeah i will we'll do a couple seconds of silence i'll introduce us back in and then uh we can go ahead and do armchair pundits sounds good all right. All right. We'll do it in three, two. Hello, everyone. And we are back with the second half of the False Nines. This is episode 84, if you forgot. Um, I hope you just enjoyed whatever that ad spot was. Really, really praying that it was Manscaped. We're, we're putting all our chips to the middle of the table that that was the ad spot for today. Cleanest <laughs> shave on the market. <laughs> Oh man, if you did not get a clean shave after that ad, you are never going to get one. <laughs> oh man. All right, so we let's let's get into armchair pundits, Jack. This is uh, mm. This is a segment that we introduced. I introduced long after I think the last time you were on the pod. Um, so to, to give everybody as well as yourself a reminder, armchair pundits, a fairly simple segment. All that we do here is give some sort of opinion that we would view as a hot take. I know we've already kind of done a lot of that in the episode today, uh, but I am excited to hear what you have to say as your, you know, your really strong opinion, the hill that you're willing to to fall on uh, for this mm. podcast. Um, to give you a little bit more time, if you if you kind of want to want to figure out what uh, you know the final details of that is, uh, I'm happy to go first. Do you want me to go first? Please, on our yeah, if you if you could, if you could. Okay, cool. All right, Jack. So. Uh, this armchair pundit, uh, this armchair punditry for today uh, is regarding a team that we have talked quite extensively about, and that is Leeds United mm. Football Club. Uh, and so the opinion in particular that I am centering in on, Jack, is that, in my opinion, Leeds comes within five goals this season of breaking the record for the most goals allowed in EPL history. What right. is that record, Zach? So, uh, a great question. Um, <laughs> so, the record, there, there are, I guess, technically two different records uh, based on mm. how many teams were in the Premier League. But the record sure. for a 38-match season is held by Derby County in yep. their infamous 2007-2008 season. Uh, in which Where, What was they, that? They got 12 points? Yeah, they get they they set all the records. They set the record for yeah. the least amount of points, the least amount of goals scored. But for this segment, we are talking about their record of the most goals allowed, which is 89 goals in a Premier League season. 89 so, goals. Doing some quick math, that's more than two a game. 
That uh, is more than two is, a game. Which is wild. That's like, like that, that suggests a level of competency that like you're playing almost like in a different league. Like these, like I know Derby yes. is like that, that Derby team is like famously like the worst premier league team of all time. But that's like a, that's like, if they're conceding more than two goals a game, that's like the standard of a low to mid table championship team playing in the Premier League. Absolutely. And so the reason that I have this opinion about Leeds United this year is looking a little bit on their statistics so far this season. Um, so Leeds have now played 25 matches in mm -hmm. uh, the Premier League campaign. In those 25 matches, they have allowed 56 goals. And so quick mental math um, can get you to the realization that that is also a clip of over two goals allowed per game. To be exact, uh, Leeds so far are allowing an average of 2.24 goals a game. So about two and a quarter goals every single match that they play. And if you're wondering, because I, I, I would assume that this is your next thought, Jack, is what does that then equate to over a 38-match season? Um, if we look at their current rate of 2.24 goals allowed, that would end them at 85 goals allowed this season, which would put them within, uh, within that span. It would put them four back of the quote-unquote record of most goals allowed. Again, that's 89 held by Darby. Uh, the last couple things that I'll say here, uh, as I mentioned, I mentioned this before, leads in a horrible run of form defensively. They've allowed three or more goals in each of their last four matches. And a clip from the Yorkshire Evening Post just today, uh, Leeds United boss Marcelo Bielsa has cast doubt over an early March return for Calvin Phillips, the English center defensive mid, as well as captain Liam Cooper, a starting center back on a Leeds team. So you could probably make the argument that of all the players on that entire squad to have prolonged injuries, those are the two worst players for Leeds yeah. in terms of defensive prowess. Worse than Coke, worse than Klitsch, worse than a few other players across the defense. It's your spine of the team. And because of this, Jack, they could be missing anywhere between, let's say, two to five more matches, especially with how condensed that March schedule is for Premier League teams. I think Leeds gets really close to that 89 goal mark that Derby County set in 2007-2008. And you know, Zach, I'm looking at their next five games right now. We're looking at Spurs, Leicester, Villa, Norwich, and Wolves. Four out of those five, you know, I mean, I guess Villa is debatable, but Leicester, Wolves, and Spurs can really hurt them. Like, those are all mm -hmm. very quality Premier League teams. I know Leicester is a bit of a down spell right now, but, like, let's not underestimate Leicester. They have tons of talent and have lots of players that can hurt you. Uh, I would you know, also they, say they, that – I would also say that uh, although Wolves have only – Wolves are not necessarily, you know, offensive-minded this year, uh, that Villa team that you just mentioned just put mm -hmm. up three goals against, against Leeds just two weeks ago. I, and Wolves, you know, even if they aren't the most offensive-minded team in the league, they're they're sitting in like sixth or seventh right now, aren't they? 
like Bruno Lodge has done they are, yeah. a tremendous job. Unbelievable. And maybe that's my maybe you know maybe that's my hot take right now is that Bruno okay, Lodge yeah, could be manager could be met could be manager of the year Ooh, for what he's done. I love that. I love that take. Yes. Let's let's go to that. You know, Bruno Lodge. Because well, well, let's think about it. Wolves. Wolves are a team that struggled a bit last year. And and a big part of that was that was the horrific head injury to Raul Jimenez. Uh, yeah. But you know the fact that they're back in this position now, where they are seriously challenging for Europe, and on the brink of pushing for Champions League spots, is truly after after losing that the manager that got them to that point, Nuno Espirito Santo, like that is truly a testament to a really good manager. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think there's certainly an argument to be made for David Moyes. Uh, and he, and, you know, honestly, he would deserve it if, if he were to be awarded. Uh, but I think Bruno Lodge is just as deserving of being manager of the year yeah. for this well, Wolves team, because I think good. the expectations were a lot lower for Wolves than they were for West Ham. Absolutely. And and also the fact that, you know, Wolves could very easily catch West Ham. They're two points behind West Ham with a game in hand. Uh, they've been on a little bit better form. They they have one more point or excuse me, they have let's see, they have uh, quick mental math, four more points than West Ham does in their last five matches. Um, and I think you're right. I, I think that all the praise has to be given to, to Wolves. And if they can. Yeah, I mean, if they get Europa League, I, I don't see any reason why Laws shouldn't be the manager of the year. And honestly, I think people people will try and discredit Wolves by saying they lost Adama Traore, uh, who obviously is an explosive player, but he doesn't contribute end product. He doesn't get assists. He doesn't score goals. Yes, he's fast. Yes, he's strong. But he's not a difference maker, really. Like, he, he's a player that looks better than he is. And let's say he became that for Wolves because he has been he actually had a really good game on the weekend for Barcelona. But you're right. He, it got to the point where you had him. You had him to have him. You didn't have him to really right. have an effect on the game. I, I agree. There. No, you're right. He did have a good game for Barca this past weekend. But I think Potence and Neto are great wingers. And if they, both of them can mm-hmm. stay healthy like that, they're they're legitimately very good. Uh, Neves, I've always thought is a is like he's so good. He can grow into one of the best midfielders in the world. He's still young, you know, and he he's fantastic. Uh, yeah. I think in the he's coming years, it'll be a big question how they replace uh, Joao Moutinho. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a big question. Uh, but I trust in their recruitment because they've done brilliantly. In replacing Rui Patricio with Jose Sa. Like that's the, Rui yeah. Patricio last season was not his best, but over the course of his career, he's been a very dependable keeper. And Jose Sa has come in and done a commendable job as his replacement. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think this there's a lot to like with this Wolves team. Uh, and, you know, I think Bruno Lodge deserves huge credit for the job he's done since coming in. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, Wolves, you're right. Like, Wolves, 
they they are this really fascinating team. The third least goals allowed in the Premier League. They mm-hmm. also have scored they've scored less goals than Brentford. They've scored less goals than Everton. They've scored less goals than Newcastle. They've even scored less goals than Watford. But it's it's how compact they've they scored, are. They it, they've scored twenty four goals in twenty five games. Like yeah, they're scoring the less than a goal the a game. League. They're scoring less they've, than a goal a game and are sitting in seventh. That's wild stuff. It's unbelievable. They have the third least goals scored and the third least goals allowed. They've they've conceded the same amount of goals as Liverpool, which it's is unbelievable. crazy. It's unbelievable. They are, they are, yeah. They, I mean, I, I will say this opinion is predicated on that type of form improving, or, or, or not improving, but you know, persisting. Uh, you know that is a wild kind of freak of nature thing. That I agree. Twenty-seven goals scored, or twenty-four goals scored, and twenty goals allowed after twenty-five games, like that isn't typically what gets you into seventh. Like they are, they they there's a good amount of luck involved, but if the if it comes to the end of the season and they're still where they are, then I think you got to give credit to the manager. I love that. I love that shout. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Uh, and yeah, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, it's not Klopp or Guardiola because it's always Klopp or Guardiola, and everyone's just like, "Come on, we knew that you, we knew that one of you two were going to win the league." It was a flip of a coin, right? Um, again and again, they are victims of their own success. I exactly, will say, yes. if I am if I am making another shout for manager of the year, it would have to be, and I don't think this is going to happen. Okay, but. If Hodgson somehow saves Watford, then he would supersede Lodge, I think. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Just on survival. Just on survival. But that's a big if, and I don't think he'll do it. Yeah, I don't I don't think he would do that as well. I, I do like the I, I've always loved the idea of like having two managers of the season like the manager that yeah. wins the league and then like the top manager, half and like, the bottom half yeah exactly yeah exactly or 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 even like yeah even like Europe. like how about this like a, a manager of the season that comes from one of the teams that gets european football and then just mm. everybody else right. because like in that same way like what hassan hoodle has done with southampton has been really pretty incredible they're in ninth now like like grandpa brighton brighton I, or, I, yeah, I, I, well, I say, I, yeah. I, I hate to admit it, but Graham Potter is a decent shout. Graham yeah, Potter, Graham, like, like they've Bright, fallen off Brighton, a bit, but Graham Potter. Brighton I, is a team, obviously, as a Palace fan that I hate with my whole heart. But Graham Potter has done a good job, and I can't wait until he gets a better job. Yeah, I will say that. Exactly. I can't yeah, exactly. wait until yeah. I can't wait until he gets like a uh, – until he gets like an Everton level job, you know? Like, yeah. uh... Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll be nice. That'll be nice for the, the, yeah. the Crystal Palace faithful. But yeah, I think Lodge as a, as a, uh, maybe not a front runner, but like somebody on the cusp of that, yeah. that manager of the season conversation. I, I, I quite enjoy that take. Yeah. Uh, but right, kind of 90. Take. Oh no. Oh, yes. We want to, do yeah, we want to turn to yours. Yeah. Cause if, I, if I you kinda, have anything to say in there. No, no, no. Um, I, I, I thought, I thought we did, we, we, okay. we did right. adjust. Then, then we, then we can move on then. Okay. If you, do you have one? Do you have a closing remark you wanna, you wanna toss in there? 
Not really. Okay. I, right. just, I just didn't want to be rude. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you, you were not rude at all. That was actually a perfect right. transition. But yes, okay. to, 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 to sum up Armchair Pundit's lead, it's, leads will allow 85-plus goals, and uh, and hopefully Bruno Lage will, will win manager of the year. I, I like that a lot. There you go. Um, all right, 10 and 90. Jack, would you like to go first or second for this rapid-fire trivia? It's 10 questions in 90 seconds. I've never once in 84 episodes done it in 90 <laughs> seconds. It's more of just a name at this point. Right. But for it's like at, at the end 90, of um, it's at the end of the Will Bond and what's that? Um, part of the interruption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a part of the interruption. All right, uh, I'll go second. Okay. All right. So, All right, Jack. Well, well, well. For today, I I come in with a theme. I I, mm-hmm. I have a theme for today. Um, and it's a club that we haven't talked about at all. Um, maybe, maybe actually maybe one fleeting mention at some point. Uh, but I having watched a lot of the, the champions league in the last two weeks or so the the one club in particular that I've found myself rooting for, uh, above all else was Red Bull Salzburg, the team mm. that had to go up against, uh, champions league. I think Bayern Munich are still the favorites to win the champions league, the bookies favorites. Um, and they had to go up against Bayern Munich and were able to have a really terrific 1-1 draw at home in Salzburg. They actually gave up a goal right at the death uh, to um, it was Serge Gnabry who scored it, uh, which was really tough to see. Uh, but that being said, I was really impressed by RB Salzburg. There was an article in The Athletic profiling their, their young 33-year-old manager that I heavily recommend anybody uh, who reads the athletic checks out very interesting uh by the way yeah. this is this is this is like already 90 seconds <laughs> like... yes exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh well yeah yeah and yeah. we are done with 10 and 94 today <laughs> oh man <laughs> um that's that's so good uh but yeah uh RB Salzburg, a lot to like about them. A fun team to watch. A lot of young talent. And they have American wonder kid, Brendan Aronson. So just a a lovely, lovely, lovely side. Uh, So, yeah. Do I think they they ultimately will get past Bayern Munich? No, I don't. Especially because Bayern scored that away goal at the very end there. Uh, Having said that, it is always – that is the magic of the Champions League. When you see the teams from the, you know, not – top leagues hang with the big boys and that is that's always very cool to see i agree exactly yes yeah so so we'll see what happens in that second leg however uh for today we will be talking about rb salzburg i have five questions for you uh questions i have four factual questions and then one uh i guess kind of hypothetical it is hypothetical um Mm -hmm. so without any further ado let's get right into it Jack, 10 and 90, we're at <laughs> – the clock begins now. Uh, oh, okay, first, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your first question, um, question number one, when was the club Austria Salzburg bought by the company Red Bull? And I'll give you two years on either side. Oh, uh, it has to be in the early 2000s. I'm going to say like 03. You got it. It's 2005. So you, you get okay, I, I, plus I, I, within two, two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That will absolutely right. play. Uh, so yes, it was, it was 
the summer of 2005 is when Red Bull purchased the rights to uh, what was formerly known as Austria Salzburg and mm-hmm. turning that club into the club they are now, which is Red Bull Salzburg, RB Salzburg. Uh, and so question number two, uh, in their last season before being bought by Red Bull, uh, Austria Salzburg finished ninth in the Austrian Bundesliga in the 2004-2005 season. Since then, after being bought by Red Bull, what is the lowest finish in the league that this club has had? Let's say fifth. Jack, since being bought by Red Bull, RB Salzburg has not finished lower than second in the entire <laughs> league. Yeah, you know what? That does make sense because honestly, what other Austrian teams can I name? <laughs> None. The answer is yeah. uh, uh, Rapid Vienna. I, 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 rapid I assume Vienna as a team. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, they have in in the what is it? 16 seasons since then, they've they've never finished lower than second, right. which is hilarious. Um, uh, okay. Question number three: uh, Who is RB Salzburg's lead? Or excuse me, who was RB Salzburg's leading scorer in each of the last two seasons? So we're not counting this season that's currently going on. Each of the last two seasons, who was RB Salzburg's leading scorer? And Dude, if you need I, a clue, I have. One for you. I yes, I would need a clue. Yeah. Uh, the reason that he is not probably the, the the probable reason that he's not on track to be the leading scorer this year is he no longer plays for the club. He plays in England. Could you tell me which club? He plays for Leicester City. <laughs> is it Patsandaka? It is Patsandaka was the leading okay. scorer for Salzburg two seasons in a row. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I recall... And this perhaps is a answer to one of your future trivia questions. So maybe Ooh. I shouldn't say it. Didn't maybe Sadio Mane used? Didn't Sadio Mane used to play for them? He did. He did. Uh, that did is I? not an answer to one of my questions, but that is part of question number five. But we are on question mm. number four. We're not there yet. Uh, okay. So um, Pat Sadaka was the leading scorer each of the last two years, and then in this past season was sold from. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg to Leicester City for a total of uh, what is about 35 million U.S. dollars. Uh, and so question number four, Jack, before Pat Sindaka, um, who was RB Salzburg's most expensive outgoing transfer? Oh, man. So um, most expensive yeah, is not yeah. maybe the right, best words, but but who who did they collect the most money on selling before selling Dotka? This right. this past summer. Oh, that's a really good question because I know a and fair I, I can, few players. Yeah. Can you tell me which league they went to? Uh, also the Premier League. Also the Premier League from Austria. Ooh, yes. that's a very good question. Oh wait, wait. I, oh no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I I lied to you there. Uh, they went to the Bundesliga and now plays in the Premier League. That's I, I mixed that. Mm. They went to so the Bundesliga. Does... I'll, I'll give you so one more. So in that play. case, the... in that case, I'm gonna guess Kai Havertz. Ooh, I don't think no, nah, I don't think Kai Havertz ever played for RB Salzburg. Okay, so who is it then? Yeah, uh, he went. This player went in in the summer of 2016. Went from RB Salzburg to RB Leipzig before mm-hmm. being bought by Liverpool Football Club. Silence, silence, silence. A player 
by the name of Nabi Keita. Yeah, yeah, okay. He got bought for all. He was like a seventy million dollar transfer. Like that's he is not from really Leipzig. Li- yeah, yeah, he has not really lived up to that. Uh, he has not really lived up to that transfer fee. He has not found a way to be a consistent starter in that Liverpool midfield, especially now that they brought in Luis Diaz. Yeah, Diaz is more of a, a winger, but I see your point. I mean, it's completely true. Like, yeah, Keita has not had that consistency, uh, but... And there, there have been injury problems, too. Uh, I yeah. will say, and this is maybe something we can edit out, but uh, Keita is one of those players that I always feel bad for because they're, he is a world-class talent, I think, when he's on his game. But he plays for a national team that'll just never be like good enough to surround him because he's from Guinea, sure. I believe. And yeah, you know, it's, there's a lot exactly. of players like that, like Obama um, uh, Yang on Gabon. Gabon is mm-hmm. never going to be good enough to compete at an international level, even though they have Obama Yang. Uh, you know, it, it's always I think that's a fair statement. You know, it's, it's always the infrastructure like a, thing, right? Yeah, it's always like a Kyungmin Song, right? South Korea as a team will be a regional powerhouse, but they're not going to compete internationally when Kyungmin mm-hmm. Song is head and shoulders above all the rest of their players. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Yeah, I think that is that is something that Keda does have to deal with, unfortunately. Um, I, yeah, maybe maybe I, I maybe maybe it's it's also fair to say like Andy Robertson at Liverpool, mm-hmm. right? Scotland yeah. doesn't compare doesn't compare to the rest of England, but Andy yes. Robertson is a world is a world class left back, mm-hmm. and, and and the captain of that team. So you know it, you know it's, you know it's lots of players where you're like man, if only they had. You know, I respect their choice, but like if they had chosen a different, or you know, if they'd been born somewhere else, they'd be like a great, you know, on an international stage. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, it's just, you know, unfortunate. Yeah, that you'll never see them in the the semifinals of of the World Cup. But you're right. Yeah. Like that is kind of just. It is the the way not that even the crumbles. For some of these, like for like Gabon, you won't even not see not even at world. the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, even exactly. at the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, yeah Gabon, it, Gabon was like a first round exit in Afcon. Like, and, you know, and so I, uh, did Guinea, did Guinea make it through? Guinea, Guinea made it, might have made it through. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think your point remains. Like, it's it, you're not, you're never going to see that that world. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I always feel bad for world class players who are from. Uh, countries who do not have world-class teams yes yeah yeah it's interesting it's always cool like how like how did that player develop to, to yeah. where he is now and oftentimes it's oftentimes it's they left at a, a fairly young age i know nabi Keita went to france when he was like 13 or something like mm. that um and then and then to to austria and then quickly to the sister club of rb salzburg at, at leipzig which was that was the fee the 32.7 yep. red bulls to go to yeah. Yeah, to Leipzig, and then he was bought for, like you said, like closer to seventy million uh, by Liverpool. Um, all right. Well, the fifth question I have, Jack, and this is the one that is not does not have a factual answer. Um, mm. I'm going to give you a bit of a hypothetical. Uh, mm. So, in 
this part is not a hypothetical. In the last five seasons, RB Salzburg has sold the following players. Pat Sendaka, mm-hmm. Dominic, and I always have a difficulty pronouncing this name, Dominic Sobolai to uh, to RB Leipzig. Uh, I can't pronounce that name. He's a, he's a defender. Um, so Daka Sobolai, Erling Holland, Ahmed uh, Amadou Haidara, also to RB Leipzig, mm-hmm. Nabi Keita, and Sadio Mane. The, all of these players. No, Mane was not sold in the last five seasons. Because oh, Mane was. Only, in last, sorry, in the last eight seasons, I would say. Um, all, all I, I don't think there. that's even true because I just saw a statistic that Sadio Mane has now scored 10 Premier League goals in eight consecutive seasons. In the last nine seasons, he's playing. <laughs> in the last. Yeah, Sadio Mane. Okay, so 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 how about this? So the, the point being that all of these are players who are currently active and arguably Fair. at the still at the top of their game, Fair. if if not Fair. like one year removed from that. Yeah, uh, but, sorry, but, sorry to get bogged down in semantics. You fact, <laughs> you fact, <laughs> you fact me well. Um, yeah. You're like actually you're a lying snake. <laughs> okay, so so all of these players have been sold by by Salzburg in, in recent years and are currently either very closely removed from the top of their career or entering the top of their career, really world-class players. Um, So my question for you, Jack, is if all of these players were still on RB Salzburg right now, how far do you think that they could go in the Champions League? So I have to admit, honestly, I'm not familiar with, like, I know Holland, I know Mane, I know Daka. I am not super familiar with the other players you mentioned. Uh, okay. It sounds like, but of the three I know, those are all attackers. There was no, uh, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the ones that you mentioned that I am less familiar there's with. There's one defender. There was one, one defender right, and then right. Keita so that's, is a midfielder. Right. So that's what I mean. One defender. Keita is a midfielder, sure, but he is on and off healthy. Uh, Holland obviously is a generational talent and is crazy like crazy good Mane Mm -hmm. Mane I hesitate to say that he's like the Scotty Pippen to Salah's Jordan because uh he's more than that he like I really do think he's better I don't hate that but I agree with you it's it's it it is like a level above yeah yeah like Salah is better but Mane is better than Pippen was relative yes. to Jordan. I think the world of Sadio Mane as a player. He's, you know, he's fantastic. Um, still not, you know, past the quarterfinals is the answer. Okay. Like, because so like they, you they still get like, two you know, like than they are right now or one round I mean, I guess, than they I guess, are right now. I guess the cop out yeah. answer is that it depends on the draw. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that is you the know, cop-out answer. That is the cop-out <laughs> answer. But, you, know, if they, you know, if they draw like Bayern Munich in like the round Again. of sixteen, then they're gonna lose to yeah. Bayern Munich. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, if they that's draw, you know, if they depending on what year it is, if they draw Real Madrid, they're gonna lose to Real Madrid. You know, if they yes. draw, yeah. you know. If they draw Dinamo Zagreb, then they'll beat Dinamo Zagreb, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They're all really good points. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it depends on, it really does depend on the draw. 
<laughs> okay, but what would you say in in theory qu- quarterfinals is probably the that's probably yeah the, yeah probably the probably the, as far as they yeah. Okay, all right, that answers the question. And I look at the watch just within ninety seconds for those five <laughs> questions. <laughs> and now we've got all five of mine to go. <laughs> Yes, perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just supposed to be done in 45. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why I thought this was ever going to work. It was the dumbest no, it, idea. <laughs> no, we never could because we talk too much, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Do you have five questions for me today? I, or I we do. Move on. I do. Two of yeah. them. The first two are kind of like discussion points, and the latter okay. three are trivia. Uh, the okay. first one is. And I know this is mostly a top league podcast, but I like I think we need to discuss Alexander Mitrovic and what he's done in the championship. In 30 games, he has scored 33 goals, which breaks the championship record for most goals scored in a season. And he still has a third of a season left to play. He is going to absolutely demolish the record. And I know, like, we always talk about Mitrovic as, like, your prototypical good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League. But this is – this the the rate at which he's scoring goals in the championship, he has to be good enough for the Premier League, doesn't he? I agree. I think that – so I had this conversation with my roommate yesterday, and I, I hold on to the point that he is not – he – like – and this isn't really a point, I guess, or an opinion, but like he has to prove it in the Premier League because he mm-hmm. hasn't yet. Like in his his brief time with Newcastle in the Premier League, he was he was a lot younger, but he he had a pretty pretty poor you know run of performance in that one year with Fulham. He didn't really do much. Well, uh, so there was so, there was year there was one year where Fulham was in the Premier League where he scored ten scored ten or eleven goals for Fulham in the Premier League. Yeah. I think though that he has to make the move. Like Fulham will get promoted, so he'll yes, yeah, they are at the top of the championship. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, he'll either play for Fulham in the prem or someone else. But yeah, I think it, it'll be really cool to see. Can yeah, can it translate? Can can he do it? But I, I think he can. Like I think you're right. I think with the form he's on, he can do it. It's possible that he's just like a late bloomer type of player, and has figured it out now that he's in. He's like 27 now, so he's like in the prime of his yeah. career. And, you know, it, it's possible he just – and maybe it's the right system. Maybe it's Marco Silva coaching. Not that I think very highly of Marco Silva as a coach. But whatever it is, they found magic there at Fulham because he is making an absolute joke out of the championship records. Mm-hmm. All right, so my next question yeah. for you, and this is turning into a league that I, I don't think you talk about often on the pod, which is La Liga. And I want to talk about Jan Oblak. Uh, Oblak, I think in past years has been, at least for me, the best keeper in the world. And then all of a sudden this season, he has fallen off dramatically and no longer, he looks like a shell of his former self, frankly. Uh, you know, he has a career at Atletico. He has a career save percentage of 76.5%. That's down almost 20%. He's at he's only saving 57% of shots this year. Like That's it's a wild. It's a remarkable decline. Even if you only watched the Champions or the yeah, the Champions League, you would have seen the other day when they played Man United on Ilanga's goal, he was wildly out of position. Like this is a guy mm-hmm. who for years was maybe the best shot stopper in Europe. 
And then all of a sudden now he's falling off and I can't seem to figure out why. Do you have any idea? No, I don't. I mean, so I was I was reading a little bit about the issues that Atletico Madrid is having this year, both with Oblak and with like Simeone, because obviously everything mm. rests on the manager at the end of the day. Um, with Simeone and just how, you know, this team that he has created to be a defensive brick wall has, has right. become quite leaky. Uh, they've they've let up. I, I think I read it was at this point in the season, they had never let up as many goals as they have this season uh, under Simeone. Um, and they're also like way off that. I think they're like 15 points off the off the title. And they're, uh, and they're the reigning and they're the reigning La Liga champs. Yeah, it's it's wild. So, no, I mean, I, I don't I, as you kind of alluded to, I don't know enough about La Liga to really know the answer for that but it is an interesting thing to keep an eye on because you're right like of the of these heavy hitting teams Atletico always you know never gets the the attention that your Barcelona will get and even your like Inter and AC Milan will oftentimes get but Oblak has always been there he's always been the guy uh much as Godin was for the longest time for them uh mm-hmm. yeah it is really I I don't know the reason why and uh it is interesting to see how it much like De Gea two seasons ago, and he's gotten back to a really good run, like place. But much like that, it just kind of fell off a cliff. So hopefully, I was actually re- that I, I was actually reading that article today that was com- directly comparing the type the two seasons both of those okay, guys was are it? having. And De Gea has been yes, there was a precipitous decline a couple seasons ago, but now he seems to have recovered. I hope the same is true for Oblak because I've, mm-hmm. I've always very much admired him. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, so that brings me into the trivia section of my five questions. I'm going to start. I'm going to go easiest to hardest. There is no real theme to this. I just want to – I'm going to go easiest to hardest. So, all right. And I don't think any of them are particularly easy, so brace yourself. Okay, I like that. All right, so my first question is, which player scored the fastest debut goal in Premier League history. And that by, by, by that, I mean, since they joined the team, how long did it take them to score a goal? I have a hint if you need it. I do, because I know that... Uh, does, does Shane Long own the quickest goal in Premier League history? He does own the quickest goal, but I'm not talking... But it wasn't the debut, quickest, yeah. I'm not talking quickest sure. from kickoff. I'm talking about quickest from when they joined the team. Oh, like from the day they signed, from no, from uh, when okay. they from when they put the jersey on and walked on the field. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so from the first kickoff of the first game yeah. with, with that team, not uh, necessarily. No, yeah, not necessarily because they could have been. A okay, sub. yeah, yeah. Substitute, yes. Yeah. All right. Oh uh, yes, I would do, like it. Do I have no idea. It happened this season. Mm, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Um, what team are they on? Crystal Palace. Oh, the Crystal Palace. Um, Crystal Palace. Oh, was it Connor Gallagher? No. In Palace's. No. Who was it? In Palace's 3 0 win above Spurs earlier this season, Odson Edward, the striker (laughs) that we signed from Celtic 
scored never gonna tw- get that <laughs> scored after 28 seconds on the pitch that's insane that's incredible was he a sub i assume so right he was a sub he was a he was subbed on for his debut and scored 28 seconds later and then went that's on amazing. to score a second goal he that's scored so two of the three goals in our win over spurs i love that that's that really that's a good one that's a good it's, one. i think that's a really good that. i enjoyed that all right all right, so it only gets harder from here, so I hope you're ready. Yeah, I was going to say shit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are you ready for this one? Please. Turkish Super League legend and current Adana Demirspor striker Mario Batelli, Matt Balotelli, has, yeah, yeah. has exactly one EPL assist to his name. What was the player he assisted? I know this one. Uh, you do know this know one. This okay. one yeah, I do. I know this one because I I heard that fact, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Uh, the answer is Sergio Aguero on the most famous goal in Premier League history to win the title, the win over QPR to, to chip Manchester United. And the reason that I found that out is somebody was talking about it and they, they were like analyzing the recording because it was it was it was like in honor of Aguero's <laughs> retirement, um, yeah. and they were like, "I will make the argument that Balotelli's one assist in Premier League in his Premier League career was an accident because he slipped and accidentally." <laughs> it does into look like Aguero. an accident. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I love that fact because I, I that is that, that is one of my that is legitimately one of my favorite trivia facts about yeah. the Premier League. Uh, I maybe should have led with that because that's more a more famous moment. I just thought that the Edward one, because it was so recent, I Fair maybe enough. would have yeah. been easier. All right. So this yeah. third one okay, is good, this third really one hard. is unquestionably the hardest. <laughs> All right. I hope you're ready for this. Yes. Current Real Betis and who is on loan from Arsenal defender Hector Bellerin okay. is currently a joint owner of what? League two team. Wow. What? I see this is the type of thing that I, I feel like typically I would have heard about because of how just ridiculous and random it is. Um, I will go with he is an owner of Bristol Rovers. No, they're in League One, aren't they? Uh hmm. he is an owner of i I don't even know who's in that league this year. Um, of Dagnum and Redbridge. Ooh, that's a solid guess. It is okay. not correct. And I also recognize that I said Bellerin, and it's probably like Bayerin. Uh, Be- Bellerin, yeah. Somewhere yeah. Like but I'm saying it the way the English announcers say it. Uh, no, he is the second majority stakeholder in Forest Green Rovers. Oh, from, Forest Green Rovers. From Nailsworth in Gloucestershire. Wow, what is the story behind that? Do you know? I don't know the story. I just I happen to know that he is a the, the second majority stakeholder. And I, I always because is... I was because originally what was gonna happen is I was gonna look up like some fact about who like the the owner of Premier League clubs with the least net worth was going to be. And I then like I looked that. it That's up. I looked it up, I looked it up on Wikipedia and I got down to like and it had all the leagues from from England. And you saw his it. name. And I and saw Bayern. Like, and I was like, what? He owns a League Two team? 
Because I had heard about like um, what's that team that like Gary Neville and David Beckham? Yeah, are? it's I, like Salzburg or like Salford. Salisbury. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, something like that. And then I saw Hector Bellerin, and I was like, that guy's still playing. <laughs> yeah, he is. That is crazy. Like in like conceivably, he could come back to like he because he's yeah. only on loan. He could conceivably come back to Arsenal and play them in the FA Cup. And that is that that couldn't be allowed, right? Like that would have no, to be that's hilarious. Yeah. That's yeah, he's just like in the owner's box for the first half and on the pitch for the other <laughs> right, team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's incredible. Um Wow, that's pretty unbelievable. Okay, I'm. I'll edit this out. I really need to run to the bathroom. I have a. Yeah. I have a. I have a. Uh, a comeback trivia for you. Okay. Good. 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 Um, so let me just computer. Um, okay, so this isn't uh, wait, wait, what was I gonna say? Uh, blah, 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 blah. We're just talking about him coming on in the four screen reference, yes. Uh, so I actually have a, a fact about four screen rovers, weirdly mm. enough, that I found out. Uh, I found out quite recently, which is that Forest Green Rovers are the only team in the top four divisions of English football at this moment in time whose name has no reference to a location in England. Really? Yes. Or, or well, rather, well, maybe, well, maybe a better way to phrase it is like it has not. It, so it's it's a it's that it it's not a reference to a place in England or. Or has anything to do with like the community there? Incorrect. I know I that's, that's not true. true. I, I'm going to catch you on a technicality here. Is because is, is Palace? Are you going to say Palace no, doesn't? No, no. I'm going to catch you on a technicality here because okay, Swansea okay. and Cardiff are in Wales that and is, not England. That is undoubtedly a technicality. Yeah, um, but that's I mean, a technicality. No, no, you're not catching. You're not catching me on anything because I said teams in the first four divisions of English football. I didn't say that it had to be in England. You do. You did say <laughs> it had to be. You did say it had to be in England. No, you didn't, come say, on. You didn't say the UK. Uh, you said England, oh, and, I, and technically right. that that is that, correct. That that is fair. But yes, Forest Forest Green Rovers has nothing to do with the location that they are in, or, or like the community in which. Yeah. That is my fact about them. Technicalities and no technicalities. What about Aston Villa? They're in Birmingham. It, there's I I can't like go through them. I just know that okay. 
every team has something to do with like the area that they are in, except okay. for except for Forest Green Rovers, which has no connection to anything about whatever town they're in, whatever neighborhood they're in. It's just I the am name of the club. Fully willing, I am fully willing to admit that I know not enough about Aston Villa that it might mean something about Birmingham. Uh, yeah, 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 like, in fact, you're wrong. <laughs> oh man. Um, okay. Well, that that wraps up that 90 seconds. That was our our 10 and 90 uh, for today. That was that was quite fun. That was a yeah. that was a good set of questions that you asked. Me. I enjoyed that. Dude, dude so yeah. You know. All right, so we got we got trivia still left to do that. We do, we do. You think you know your answer, but I'll give yeah. the I'll give the second clue regardless, yes, at please. least for the listeners who probably who probably don't have an answer in mind if they made it this far on the podcast. Um, so the again the the question for today was which uh, fellow professional football club uh, inspired Crystal Palace's current logo uh, design. And I kind of worded it differently the first time. However, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, which fellow professional club did Crystal Palace use as inspiration for their current logo? My first clue is that this club is located in Western Europe. And my second clue is that this club is currently competing in the Champions League. Yeah, so I, I do think I know this. Um, All right. My is, is it now time to guess? or is it... Yes, it is now time okay. to guess. All right, so I, ever since you said the first, like, not even before the first clue, I'm pretty sure it's Benfica. It is Benfica. That yeah. is correct. Yeah, in Portugal. Yeah. I did I did know that, but it didn't, like, come to mind immediately. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, I knew it was Benfica. I'm not sure why exactly. I don't, I don't know what the connection is. I, I know, like probably right just now, that they have a bird on the logo, right? Like that, yeah. they, they're the Eagles, so they wanted more of a bird presence, and that was probably kind of it. Yeah, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I I know right now Palace has some ties to Botafogo in Brazil uh, because we are. Oh, co-owned. interesting! I didn't know that. We are, we are co-owned by the same person, a guy named John Texter, oh, okay. who is an American oh. investor. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, obviously, Steve Parrish is still the guy in charge, which thank God because he saved the club. But um, he did. Our other, our other two co-owners are uh, Josh Harris and Davis Blitz, David Blitzer, who also own the Sixers and Sixers, yeah, yeah, and the uh, New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're a hockey, if you're a hockey fan who is listening to this soccer podcast for some reason, <laughs> <laughs> and have made it all the way through yeah. a podcast, that you <laughs> don't only to the end to listen about hockey. <laughs> yes, exactly. That yeah, that that's that's interesting. Botafogo, I did not know that. Botafogo, hmm. Botafogo. Honestly, if I knew Portuguese, I would pronounce it a lot better. But <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is a fair yeah. point. Uh, oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, hey, good job on uh, the trivia. Thank you, Zach. Before we sign off, there are two things I want to say. Yes. Please, uh, please do. The first thing I want to do is give a shout out to um, the women's national team of the United States, who this week mm. earned a super important victory for equal pay among international players. They have fought on this for a few years now. And they absolutely deserve it because they are the best in the world. And I just want to say 
well done, everybody. Love that. Yes, I, that was really exciting news to to read this week. Yeah. The second thing I want to say is I want to send a shout out to Dinamo Moscow striker Fyodor Smolov, who is one of the few Russian nationals who is openly opposing war in Ukraine right now. And to do that in Russia as a Russian citizen is incredibly brave. And he deserves all the credit in the world for speaking out against the violence that is happening right now. So just he deserves he deserves a mention and he deserves to be heard about through through all soccer fans everywhere. Wow. I had not heard about that, but yes, that yeah. that I mean that that takes incredible bravery considering the the climate and the uh the situation that he is in. So, wow. Yeah. Hats off to a brave man, and hopefully he can, you know, not only continue to stay safe, but continue to speak his voice, and hopefully 